a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hey kids, welcome to Adventures in Odyssey. Just kidding, that's a different podcast um, and show. You should go listen to the Prophetic Imagination Stage. Uh, uh, hello, welcome my friends. I don't know if you listen to Odyssey uh, or not, but this episode's not going to be about Odyssey. Don't worry. Okay, hi, <laughs> hi. <laughs> that was a way longer intro than I intended it to be. <laughs> that uh, welcome was magic. <laughs> Thank you. I think we have very different definitions of magic. If you haven't listened to our episode on magic and other faith practices, shout out. Um, what are you guys drinking <laughs> this week? Um, I made myself a, it's a new cocktail to me. I took the second best LaCroix, which is, we all know is the hibiscus flavor. And I added a splash of lemon juice and a couple shots of vanilla vodka. Um, and it's a nice, like very Ooh. refreshing, uh, slightly sweet slightly tart it's clear um which is as you know is like the most dangerous version of yep cocktails oh uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i wonder if that would be good with limoncello Lacroix. it probably is it probably mm. would be because there's a, like a little vanilla yeah element. yeah sounds nice mm. i love it emily what are you drinking I, you know, it's really nice here today in Cody. So I have a really tall glass of lemonade with blueberry. Oh, nice. Um, you mean like with blueberries? Yeah. Or like, like I, oh, like okay. I, like I have blueberries just like sinking and floating gotcha. in my cup of lemonade. Yeah. Do you like smash them up, or do you let them kind of be like a boba tea? Kind yeah, of thing? it's like a boba situation. It's kind of a boba situation, but I think when I get towards the end, then I'll crunch them up and squish mm. them in my cup. Oh, yeah. mm. and not like suck them out with the huge boba straw? Oh, I am right now, but when I get toward the bottom of my cup, then I'll just mash them up and then finish that it That feels off. like a choking hazard. That's a choking hazard, so, right? You know what I've realized? Because I drink boba a little bit more because I'm in Seattle and it's everywhere here. It's not as much of a choking hazard when there's liquid. That is very but like, true. If you just suck up the solid thing, then it's a choking hazard. That fair. Also, I've definitely put blueberries in coffee before, but not today. Um, I am just drinking. I uh, made myself an AeroPress, and it's delicious. Freaking love the AeroPress, man. And I'm also drinking. I'm not gonna lie. I stole a beer out of my roommate's. I'm pretty sure this is my roommate's, but we have a party shelf that's like for parties, like beer that, that we don't want. So I don't feel too bad. Um, I just found this like random. It says lager beer. And it's from Oakshire. <laughs> oh, it's from Eugene, Oregon. And it is, it's good. It's light. It's, yeah, it's good. Loggery. I, I was imagining <laughs> you like holding a can with just one of those like 
brown paper bag generic labels that just said lager beer. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of that being sold. Just lager beer. Actually, I really like the design of it. It looks very, um, like it almost looks World War II-esque. Like it looks old. That's fun. Um, Well, welcome to my episode, you guys. Uh, We will not be discussing the overlap of Barbie culture and Adventures in Odyssey. Uh, but I am thinking of several different topics in the back of my head. Like I just kind of have like a running tab of like things that I want to bring up at some point that I've been thinking about recently. And up until two minutes ago, I had not made up my mind. Fun. But after last episode, I feel like this could flow very well. So I want to talk about and get your thoughts on a theology of hospitality. Uh. Uh. <gasps> and see where we go with it. Yes. Thought you might like that. Love it. Emily, don't the Methodists have a whole committee for hospitality? That sounds like something the Methodists would have. Absolutely. So like in Cody, um, our committee is uh, membership nurture. And it's all about hospitality. That's literally, that is the mm. goal. That is all they want to achieve is being very hospitable. Lots of like <laughs> greeters, potlucks, that kind of stuff. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like like sending out cards and preparing for fellowship time and uh, visitation and all sorts of things. Yeah. It Mm. encompasses so much. I feel like churches do have often have like, quote unquote, hospitality teams. But in the church settings I've been in, that's mostly only meant greeters. Oh, yeah. I the way the word hospitality sits with me is just. To make someone feel welcome. I like that definition. I would go a step further, though. Please do. So if I I know you guys know this, but I guess if someone's listening for the first time, like I've worked in what I would call the hospitality industry. I personally like that better than the service industry. Uh, But I will agree. I think it's a different mindset, too. There's this great book, in my opinion, by Danny Meyer. He's this restaurateur in New York who got a little famous in non-restaurant circles because he was the first big restaurateur to go tipless, even though he has since gone back to it. But he wrote this good book called Setting the Table, where he talks about his experience, but also like a philosophy of hospitality in the restaurant setting. And he defines, um, I'm going to get this wrong, like word for word, but he like loosely defines hospitality as you creating a space where someone would rather spend than their own home. Mm. And Mm. like he, he has a very holistic approach to it. Like everything from like, like first experience to last experience to the food that you eat, the, the creation of the space, the visuals. And I think it's, I think it's all really interesting. And to be honest, the majority of my experience with hospitality has been in the workplace, not in the church. And I, I think that that's kind of unfortunate personally, because I think that like there's such a huge opportunity Mm. for a good, robust theology of hospitality. Like, frankly, I think that that's what is so intriguing to me on the personal level about the way Jesus describes love is that it feels so hospitable. And it like, I think hospitality can be very compelling. Mm. With this definition of creating a space where someone would rather spend rather than their own home. What places come to mind for you, 
to as like actual places you've been that have given you that feeling of hospitality? Um, there's a wonderful retreat center here in Cody called Thomas the Apostle Center, and it's um, it's run by the Episcopal Church. And one, it's just a beautiful location. Um, you are able to see like Heart Mountain and you can see the Bighorns and it's very inviting. Like it's just a space that the way the rooms are designed and the way the walls are decorated, you you look around and there's always something to see and to look at. But beyond that, you feel not only welcomed, but engaged. And so that's what I think about when I think about hospitality is it's not enough just to welcome someone because you can greet someone at the door and then completely ignore them the rest of the time and they don't truly feel welcomed, hmm. but to engage them. And so like, for instance, at the uh, at the retreat center, like they welcome you in and they say, help yourself to look around and if there's anything we can do to help you, like let us know. And so like, if you were to actually ask them a question, you would then engage with them and then they invite you to, you know, stay afterwards and, you know, join us for lunch, enjoy the coffee hour or blah, blah, blah. It's not enough just to say you're welcome, like come, come and be invited into this space and then to be neglected. Mm. And so when I think of places that I've been to and I've felt not only welcomed, but wanting to be engaged with, then I feel like it's a very hospitable place. I like that. Um, I would be remiss if I did not mention coffee shops. <laughs> I think in America specifically. Okay, is uh, there one specifically that comes to mind for you? Mm, for the longest time, it was this one coffee shop in Billings that is now extinct. Rest in peace, Off the Leaf. And for me, that was like oh. the epitome. Do you remember that? You remember Off the Leaf? Totally. Oh, yes. Um, for me, especially during uh, college years, was like the epitome of a place that I could go that felt like my own and also so many people's that was not my home. It was not church. It was not school. That's a good answer. And I mean, it, it remains to be seen if uh, cafe culture around the U.S. will remain robust post-COVID. Um, some parts of the country are not regaining that third space mentality in the same way. And I think that's interesting, personally. But the other thing that comes to mind for me is um, when I was out in Michigan getting my Padawan of Divinity there is this family that I, I had this buddy and his his mom had this house and she had four children and they were like all varying ages, of course. Uh, and growing up, uh, she just got like sick of them asking if their friends could come over. And she was like, you know what? Screw it. They can just come over whenever they want. Like, don't, don't ask me anymore. <laughs> like, there's food in the fridge. Like, I trust you. Bring your friends over anytime. They're always welcome. And even as her kids were aging out and she started renting her house she just always kept this open door policy and i have never felt wow like more inspired than well no i'll take that back i i feel i feel very inspired by that idea of like open door hospitality they did get robbed once but only once in like 20 plus years of having an open door policy basically wow like hmm. that's really impressive <laughs> i mean granted there was people there a lot of the time but I aspire to be as like generously hospitable as her. Mm. And I like that. I, I, I think that's wonderful. Like that was like such like it was like somebody's house, but like like that constant stream of hospitality like felt significant to me compared to just like 
a hospitable evening at someone's home, which I think is also great and fantastic and like a great space to to be in and host. But to me, that felt more of like a like a life choice. Ooh. What about you, Stephen? So for me, I'm glad Josh beat me to the punch to off the leaf because that space really did have like, I really don't know if I can put like words on the quality of that space that made it feel that way to so many of us. It's very interesting because what like Billings has kind of exploded in the availability of coffee shops available to hang out in. And yeah. Truly none of them that I've been to have recaptured what Off the Leaf was, which I think is very interesting. Like, I think that they were, they were onto something and I don't know, I really don't know if I could put words to it, but that space holds a special place in my heart, as they say. Um, I also, I honestly think of the place that our youth group used to meet in Laurel we called it the annex. It was like a block away from the main church building. And it was like this little, it was essentially like where it should have been like a storefront area next to what became the movie theater in Laurel. But that space like was interesting about me. And I'm purely basing this on the definition of like somewhere I'd rather spend than my own home is like this space was so sparse and like, Nothing truly interesting was happening, but the space itself represented to me so much engagement and so much like Mm. fun. Like I was having all of my peak emotional experiences, good and bad in this youth annex when I was there for small group or youth group, like twice a week. Mm. So while I think that like certainly the space holds a nostalgia now, I think the hospitality truly came from the people I was doing community with there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably something that, you know, that's part of the magic of what Off the Leaf was to Billings, Montana was, I don't want to say it was a certain kind of person who was going there for Off the Leaf, but it was like, it wasn't the place you went to to just grab coffee and leave. You know, if you were going to right. Off the Leaf, it was to hang out for four hours and you brought all your stuff to study because you were in college but you, if you were being honest, you really only intended to study for like two hours and then the rest of the time was just going to be hanging out with people, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, I hate to use such a stereotypical phrase because this is overused in both the Christian world and the coffee world. But I think that a major difference in those types of third spaces is intentionality. Like, yes. like going back to what Emily said um, in the last episode about like love not being passive, like it is such a different experience when someone is engaging. Like I think that's why I really like you using that word, Stephen, because like when someone is trying to engage you in hospitality, whether that's in a religious setting or a not religious setting, it feels very different than a complimentary breakfast. Oh, you know what I mean? Like that's like mm. not that that's not hospitable, but like it. It feels different when it's like person to person versus like generic. Yeah. Or like, or you feel like you could go in and experience something and not be noticed. Like, cause Mm -hmm. like, for instance, some churches are like that. I think like you could easily slip in and out. No one would ever know you're there. And some people do like that. But I, I feel like 
what a lot of people connect with about church is that like person to person connection. And I also think we try to recreate that, like whether it's in our own homes or in our businesses or our community events. Like I've certainly tried to recreate that myself. Yeah. I think there is a balance, though, between acknowledging and engaging a person and overstimulating the person. So I know like some places it can be very churches, especially like you want your pews to be filled. You want people to come to church. So you see a visitor and you immediately like you greet them, you tell everyone, hey, we have a visitor. Like you're telling the visitor all these people's names and then you're asking them with all these questions and you're telling them how they can be involved and you're just bombarding them to where they are then uncomfortable and that welcoming, inviting feeling becomes very daunting and very scary. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And you're like, oh, maybe this isn't the place for me. And so it is a really fine balance between, hi, yes, you're welcome and come be engaged and hi, welcome, be engaged and please immediately join us because we're desperate. (laughs) Oof. Oof. Yeah, the desperate. Yep. I totally know what you're talking about. And honestly, I think I've been guilty of being part of a, like a welcome team or just a church that did that, mm-hmm. which is a weird, like, it's weird to think about. There's this idea I've really come to like in hospitality business settings about like, we're here for anything that you need, but also that doesn't necessarily mean we will be able to provide it to you. Like for instance, in my mm. personal opinion, we don't have to talk about coffee shops the whole time even though I think this is a fascinating intersection. One thing that I've really come to like about certain coffee shops and restaurants is that I think that the better ones often limit themselves. And that that can be a yeah. very like loving hospitable thing to do because that means that you can like focus on excellence in whatever your specialty is. Like I would prefer to go get a sandwich from a really well-known sandwich shop than uh, Denny's mm. or IHOP. You know what I mean? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to be very general and like offer so many things versus like having a specialty. And like, I think that the act of limiting yourself to do something really well and serve people really well can be very loving and hosp- hospitable. Quality over quantity. Yeah. Yeah. But also like the idea of like, while you're here, like let us know if we can do anything for you that you need. Like, can I get you a glass of water? I can get you a glass of water. Like, uh, let me know if you need one. Um, but like, I in this coffee shop, I can't get you a beer. We don't do that here. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I know a good brewery down the, down the street. And I think it's I think it's interesting to like apply that same philosophy to the religious setting. Like Emily, I think you've hinted at that before when on our mental health episode. Like, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily give someone everything they need, but you can refer them to a mental health professional. Yeah. I mean, I'm even just thinking of like our Good Samaritan um, team. You know, we have people who come in and are asking for assistance and sometimes they're asking for very specific needs to be met. And we, you know, unfortunately can't always do that, but we can Mm -hmm. at least provide the resources or point them in the direction to go and seek that help. And I think I think we have this idea of if you want to be considered uh, as being hospitable or very welcoming and inviting that you have to then provide everything. And like, Josh, I think what you're pointing out is great. That doesn't necessarily equate that. 
you know, when there are restaurants that serve breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, and it's their menus are five pages in and you feel like you're <laughs> flipping through a novel, it's it's overwhelming and you don't yep. even know where to start. And then you wonder how the quality is if they're serving so much food. Um, I've been on this kick about watching Bar Rescue lately. <laughs> Nice. And I think one of the things that they point out, though, that is so true across any business, even churches, is it's about the quality. Like, if you're going to provide something, you got to make it good. You have to make it where people Mm. want to, like, come back for it. Because I know even like shopping, you know, like if you go to a store and they have so many options of things and you're like, wow, this is great. Like there are so many choices, but then like the quality isn't good. You're not going to want to go back to get something from that store. Whereas if you go to like a little boutique and sure, their options are limited, but if what they're making is good quality, you're going to want to come back because it's so good. There's something that they're providing that is beyond your expectations. Like if I really wanted a sandwich, I could save the money and make a sandwich at home. But if I know this sandwich shop that's in town that makes really good sandwiches and they're sandwiches that are better than what I would make, I'm going to fork up the money to go get that sandwich. You know, you just made me think of you got me like you got me like you, thinking about are you like hungry. A, no, you got me thinking of like a, a, a on a train thought of like consumeristic church culture. And then I thought of the mm. meme of like, Mom, can we stop for some Jesus? No, we have Jesus at home. <laughs> <laughs> but the Jesus here is better. <laughs> but like, yeah, you know, that's interesting. Like, I liked your uh, train of thought there about quality because I feel like in some ways that is really true of the church and like can be really useful. But I also think that that applies to uh, mega church production. Like, I think that a lot Ooh. of people are really attracted to churches because they like do music really well or they do like services really well. And like, not that that's bad. Like I think excellence is really good, but also that's not always signifying excellence in other aspects, Mm -hmm. like excellence in treating people well or loving the community. But like, to your point, I really, really agree with you that I don't think the church should aim to do everything themselves. Yeah. One talk about burnout. Oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be insane. But also, I think, like, I I mean, it probably goes without saying, but like the church, like if we're going to talk about hospitality, the church back in the day started hospitals, like parachurch organizations mm. have been birthed out of the church because of views. Mm. Caring for one another. Yeah. I am curious to hear your thoughts because I am personally bothered by the sentiment of Hey, let me know if I can do anything for you. Mm. Like, have you, you've gotten that text, right? Ooh. Oh, instead of offering, you mean? Like, instead of, like, preemptively anticipating yeah. someone's needs? Yeah. I, yeah, I have I a agree. problem with how overwhelming the sense of, like, like, I think the person offering and sending that text is trying to be helpful and trying to be hospitable in a way, right? Of, like, let me help how you think I could best help. But I think in the framing of like, if you need literally anything at all, I am available. It's so like, I think that does more 
to the person who is offering the sentiment of like, I'm willing to help by saying, let me know if you need anything Mm. that does more for them than it does the person who the help is being offered to. Because in the same way, I think because we're not limiting essentially the choice, it's like, it's so overwhelming to be like, okay, this person wants to help, but now they're putting the work on me to identify how they can help Mm -hmm. me or how they can help the organization or whatever. So like, yeah, I so like I uh I played D&D with some dear friends who Shayla went to go out of town last weekend and Sam was going to be staying home alone with their son who is like just turned 1, right? So like b- very much like still infant toddler phase. And while we were playing D&D, Sam was just like, "Yeah, I'm just kind of prepping for this weekend. I think it's just going to be a lot of energy output for me." It so but instead of saying, let us know how, <laughs> let us know if you need anything, my wife pulled the galaxy brain move and she said, hey, if you are starting to feel overwhelmed and you would like Stephen and I to come over and babysit for an hour for you to take a nap or take a walk or go to the coffee shop alone for an hour or whatever, let us know if you want to do that. And what I loved about the way my wife framed that was like, if this very specific thing becomes a desire or a need of yours we're here for you Mm -hmm. and i think that did that both offered the sentiment that we were willing to help and it identified very clearly to sam how we can help instead of putting it putting the work on him to be like i'm overwhelmed but i don't know what to do because 12 people have told me let me know if we can do anything but i still don't know how to ask you know Mm. i Uh, first of all Dixie you're a hero like bless you truly I really appreciate that Stephen because it it's I think goes back to one-sided love versus mutual love like if you're asking to help someone but it's really like for your own benefit then you're not really helping the person and I can think very vividly when I was pregnant and actually right after Thea was born you know so many people would offer, hey, if there's anything that we can do, let us know, right? And sometimes when people offer to help or assist in any way, they actually only want to help in a certain way, but they feel uncomfortable coming out and saying that. Ooh. And so, like, for instance, like, if people wanted to come over and watch Thea so I could, like, nap, they wouldn't want to just come right out and say, hey, if 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 we need us to watch Thea and you can nap, that's great. They would, they felt like that was too much to ask. So then they would just phrase it as if there's anything I can do, let me know. And I found that the people who were very direct with offering assistance, those were the people that I actually turned to in those moments. So like if people offered, Hey, if you need us to walk Daisy, if you need us to vacuum your stairs because you had a C-section and you can't run your vacuum for six weeks, like those very specific needs that they feel comfortable assisting with, those were the people that I turned to. But the people who just very blindly said, hey, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I actually found myself not asking those people for help. And that's the thing is like, it feels like we're trying to be hospitable when we say, let me know however I can help. Because if I was to ask this person, hi, can you, would you be willing to run the vacuum for me because I had a C-section and I can't run my vacuum for six weeks? And if they were to say no, then it's like, you really didn't mean. Yeah. If there's anything that I could do, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
I've had this like, but maybe I don't know if this will like be helpful for this example, but I've had a similar realization in terms of like service culture that like there's a very distinct difference in tone, I think, when someone is asking if you want fries with that, if they're just trying Mm. to upsell or if they like actually care if you want fries. Right. Huh. Like, mm-hmm. like if you actually care about the other person and you're like asking them a question and you actually want their input on something or like whether or not they want something, like you will phrase it in a way or like have a specific tone that like, <laughs> like shows that you want their answer. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at. That is so true. Mm. I really like your example about specificity too. I'm like still thinking about that. That's good. Sometimes, well, so this is where the line gets blurry because I remember a city brew being pretty strategic in like the pastries I would upsell based on the drink the customer ordered. So like, yeah, sure. Specificity, but also there's, there's a bit of, (laughs) there's a bit of upsell going on even then. Totally. But, <laughs> but also, like, but to you're your doing point, it with care. Like, you're not just right. offering trying something to, like, elevate for the sake experience. of it. Yeah, you're, yeah, you are. You're trying to make them feel engaged. And so they would want to come back because they loved it so much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Because you wouldn't pair, you know, you wouldn't pair the pastry with a drink that clearly would not be a good combination, you know? Right. It's like when restaurants are offering a wine to go with the meal. Like, if it's a wine that goes really well with fish, they're not going to offer a wine that goes really well with steak if you're having fish. Like they yeah. want you to have a good experience and to where you feel like, yeah, I want this again. Like mm. I want this to continue. I really like your point, Emily, about specifically offering things mm-hmm. because I think it can be really easy to host someone and nothing against that. Like I think that's wonderful and I love doing that. And I love it when people host me and like have me over for dinner and like offer me drinks and blah, blah, blah. But also like there's only so far that can go often. Like yeah. either like you only have a certain capacity in like you only have like certain drinks at your house or like you can't offer people everything. And like I think it's really good to acknowledge like your limits. Mm-hmm. But also like whenever I hear that someone's moving, I'm always like, let me know when you need help. No, like seriously, let me like I will help you. Like, I'm not just, like, saying that. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's good to, like, offer really specific. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Mm. And I think if you tell people, like, your availability or what you are willing to do, I think it shows people that you do have a genuine care. Like, you have this, this deep sense of caring for someone else. Like... I'm very limited on what I can offer, like in my job sometimes. Um, And so I'm very intentional about not overextending myself or not offering something that I know I can't come to fruition through. And I think if if people are just upfront about that, people are going to feel like they are cared for because they know right away. Here's how this person can care for me. (laughs) Hmm. Okay, I want to push into that a little bit more. Like, because I feel like that totally happens in the church a lot. Like, call it burnout, call it overextension of hospitality or like overcommitment. I feel like it's really prevalent. Like, I feel like I've experienced that in a church setting and also not a church setting. Mm-hmm. 
like I guess I'll just ask you, like, how do you protect your own self-interest while also genuinely extending hospitality? I turn to the leadership that's within the church and I I mm. turn to the people that I know their gifts and their abilities would one be better suited and also just knowing that it's there. So, you know, if I'm if I'm teaching a class and it's a subject that, you know, I'm passionate about, but maybe I just don't have all the the tools that I need to have the class go smoothly, I'm going to turn to my discipling team and if I know someone on the discipling team that they've studied this and they are passionate about it and that's what they are called to do, then I'm going to utilize that person and say, hey, do you want to help me with this? Like, I think you'd be a great asset for this class. And they say, oh, my gosh, yes, I would love to. That's a weight off my shoulders of having to teach the class all by myself. But it's also allowing the person to use their gifts and to feel called and to have a purpose and to know that they can be a part of something. And when people see that, they see a pastor who, one, is not a dictator, and two, they see a pastor who understands the people that they are serving in ministry with. I think along along the lines of like that specificity, right? I think part of that comes with specifically offering help how you know you could probably be best utilized. So for me, when someone's moving, I'll say, hey, I'll show up. My car is not well equipped to carry things, but my arms are and I'll lift stuff, you know, or like Dixie will not come over if we're helping to paint a living room because Dixie is allergic to latex. So oh. knowing how some of those limitations mm-hmm. of our own influence, uh, I guess, the help we're willing to offer. But also just in general, just as long as we're being specific about how we can help, we should also feel, I think we should feel comfortable in specifying our own boundaries, you know? Mm-hmm of like what we're comfortable doing, what we're comfortable helping with. And I think that was like to Emily's point is like, if we're going to be casting our net super wide and then we're asked specifically to vacuum and vacuuming happens to be one of my least favorite chores, then it's going to feel like I'm just, (laughs) then it's like, Oh, well (laughs) that's not how I thought I could be of service, but Hmm. okay, I guess, you know, And maybe that's a silly example of boundaries, but I think there's a way to be specific about our own limits or our own self-interest, I think is a really good word for it, Josh. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think I can be of the most help there. And sometimes if we're honest, we just don't want to. (laughs) Um, Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that. it, It is an interesting, it's a fine line to walk between you know, like a couple of years ago, I did a lot of traveling for my job for like a, a whole summer. Like I would go out for like a week or two at a time and I would be back for like a week and then I'd be out again. And somewhere in the middle there, it became very obvious to me of like, you know, like I would have people trying to schedule me for being on the worship team on the weekends. I was back and I had to just be like, no, I am becoming exhausted very fast Mm. i cannot Mm. do that for Mm -hmm. you even if it does feel like it feels weird to draw that boundary and be like almost advocating for yourself in the midst of being asked to do something you love to do like play music yeah it was a very interesting experience for me to like understand what like what self-care looked like in that moment 
amidst trying to be helped or trying to help where I can. Mm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. There were recordings of him on the phone talking about it, I making the order. So, I, I was a stupid six-year-old in 2000. And like, I wish, like learning about this, it's like, this is why I tweeted the other day that I'm like dreaming about being stuck in Soviet. <laughs> There's, it's, yeah. There's so much there. There's so much. I know. I know. And like everything's just like corrupt and like everything is a conspiracy and it's all true. Right. Everything's a conspiracy and it's all true. Right. And yeah. it's overwhelming. It's, it is very overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. And I mean, every nation and every people, you know, they've got their, you know, all peoples have their complicated histories. Ukraine is a particularly <laughs> complicated and grim and really dark and like the things that you don't even imagine like you can't even imagine what happened like have happened there you know yes. um, Stephen, you and I are at least a little bit coffee snobbish like we've both worked in the industry I'm still working in the industry we both have like multiple brew methods at home. That's right. I am super proud of the fact that we are starting to sell from one of my favorite roasters through the Highline Network, which is why I think we need to convince Emily to start making coffee at home. Yes, Emily, this is honestly a really easy sell. This is by Revel Coffee. This is a Montana local international award-winning roaster. They're super good. And when you buy a bag and indicate Ravel on checkout, you can directly support the show you love with every bag you buy. Ah, uh, well, you've just convinced me. And I think what makes it even better is the coffee that I order will be delivered within days of it being roasted. And it's made especially for me. It's not just sitting in a warehouse getting old. Mm. So if I'm going to get on board with this, I think all of y'all who are listening should too. So luckily for you, you can order now at our merch store. That's highline.network forward slash shop. Okay, I'm going to try to tie a thought together, and I'm kind of thinking out loud as I do this, so you might have to help me <laughs> with this. <laughs> I'm like thinking about our last episode and how we were like talking along the lines of how love can be made to guilt someone, mm -hmm. and how like I'm thinking now of 
like with hospitality and the church, there's almost this like expectation that like because Jesus died for you or because whatever the reason is, there's almost this expectation of like, it's not usually explicit in most communities, although it is in some, um, that like whatever the church needs, like we need people to help. Like even though you're like, you're not paid, like most people involved in church are volunteers, some are paid, but like almost a like whatever needs done mentality. Mm. So like I'm thinking about that and I'm also thinking about in terms of like friendship and in terms of like hospitality of friendship, I think that sometimes there's this cultural hangover from churches where you feel like the way to care about people is to know everything that's happening. Mm. And I would argue that that can very quickly turn into a controlling view of friendship for you to have like complete access to a person except with maybe with the exception of like uh like someone you're married to or like your significant other but like i would say outside of that i don't think we should ever expect to have i don't think we should expect to have complete access to everything that's going on in someone's life even if that's just informational and b i don't think we need that to be hospitable and to care for someone like, I don't think that that's what it means to, like, care about your friends, uh, to know everything that's going on. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I mean, so what's interesting is I think that you and Emily are perfect examples of that. Being Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know you. Heck, 84 <laughs> episodes of making this together, which I think on that note, I think we make a hospitable podcast in the way that we try yes. to make yeah, everyone feel so. welcome and engaged with the conversation. And with what we do on the internet elsewhere. But yeah, yeah, like you guys certainly don't need to know all that much in order to participate in a rich conversation with each other, right? Yeah, like I don't need to know your trauma and like what you're (laughs) struggling with to like know how to care for you. Mm. Like I can be like, I can like still offer like a hospitable friendship that is mutual and does extend beyond myself to love someone mm-hmm. without knowing everything about them. Mm. Well, especially that, I mean, that speaks volumes when you think about we're supposed to love strangers too. Like you're not oh, going to yeah, know that's a good point. everything about complete strangers and you shouldn't like that's an opportunity for you to learn more about the person. And then hopefully the stranger becomes a friend, but like, that's also not, the objective like the objective is still to love them even if they are a stranger and a stranger or a longtime friend you welcome and engage with them and you create a space and you become a person that is engaging and welcoming and yeah like 84 episodes in and i don't even think you know what my favorite color is but i'm not going to hold that against you to know that like well i would guess it's red it's not that's a good okay. guess so, yeah i have no idea uh, I, yeah that was my only guess but that's the thing is like <laughs> if you were to find out what my favorite color was that's not going to change how you care about me mm, mm-hmm. like even if you so you find out oh okay good to know emily likes the color green like that doesn't change how you care about me and if it and if it does, then that's sad. <laughs> I almost I would almost say that I, I hope this doesn't sound. I don't hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. I would almost say that hospitality is like the doorway to get to know people. Like yeah, like if you actually want to get to know people, like that's a great route. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know. I'm like still thinking about the way that the church, I've seen this happen sometimes. I, I almost think that the church like expects or like puts out the expectation that to care about you the most and for you to care about other people the most in the church community is for you to be as vulnerable as possible. Like mm. I've encountered that in a uh, youth ministry. I've encountered that in, for lack of a better word, what I would call testimony culture. Like there's totally this expectation of like caring for other people means knowing a lot about them. Do you think yeah. that's a symptom of like to be vulnerable is to also signal that you trust the person you're being vulnerable with and like in order to feel like you have a relationship with someone or feel like you are uh, friends or how you can love them best is to like know that there's trust between you and Hey, if they can trust me with like the last time they looked at porn, right? Like that was like, (laughs) that's like the accountability version of vulnerability. Like, Hey man, Mm -hmm. he was willing to say that and he barely knows me. So yeah, mm-hmm. but I would argue that that is A, very easily misused, and B, is totally. not the same as hospitality. Absolutely. Sure. Well, yeah, sure. and I think it's honestly like a very weird stereotype, I think, of church people that uh, we like to be gossips. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I think that's what you're kind of putting your finger on, Josh. Is yeah. that maybe we've like misplaced the value of vulnerability for the sake of like, it's fun just to know the <laughs> on different people. <laughs> when, and it can become ammunition. Spill the tea, bro. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go. Especially if you hold power in the church. Whoa. Yeah. Not everybody needs to know you're struggling with your marriage. Your yeah. therapist definitely needs to know that. Right. But like, you don't need to tell everyone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or like whatever it is. And certainly those people don't need to know that to care about you as a human being. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What is it about places, and a church can even be part of this too, but mm. what is it about places or institutions that make you feel unwelcome? Oh, that's, I thought you were going to ask welcome, not, that's a good question. Where you do not get a sense of hospitality. Oof. Because I know we've all experienced it. And it's and I'm not just talking about those places where you didn't like the service and so you just aren't going to go back, but hmm. places where you genuinely felt unwelcomed or you did not feel that hospitality was on the top of their list. I liked your point about hounding people, <laughs> like whether you feel like overstimulated or like oversold or mm-hmm. um, over obligated to like jump into something whether that's belief or volunteering or whatever. I think that those are very common turnoffs for people. I think for me, it's you can tell the places or like the people in those places were not listening to you. Ooh, yeah. So if you were like, if they were to ask you a question and you had a very specific answer, if five minutes later they're like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, sorry, I, I, I didn't hear that. Or you could just tell that they, we're just asking you for the sake of asking and they didn't really care what your answer was, then they weren't really engaging with you. And those are the places that I avoid. Along those lines, for me personally, I think a note that I would consider not hospitable is when churches are not open to differing opinions or different theologies. Oh, 
or even just like allowing a normalizing questioning and like figuring out your own belief. Yeah. I think that 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 makes me feel not welcome and not like not possible for me to exist or express my beliefs or questions. I think to add on to it, too, I know you haven't said anything, Stephen, but I wanted to say this before I forget. Um, <laughs> Josh, what you were pointing out about um, accommodation, if a place oh, yeah. is not willing to accommodate, then I don't feel welcome. So, like, we have members of our church who are gluten free, right? Gluten intolerant. And when we have communion, if I don't have a gluten free option for communion, like, that's sad. <laughs> and I'm sure those people would not feel welcome. So... You want to make sure that you can meet the needs of people example. to participate in in the life of the church. Signage, like having clear signs of where rooms are. And like I was joking, like having feminine hygiene products available, but like nothing says, hi, yes, we love you and you're welcome. Then we know that life happens. Here's things to help with those needs. I also like, think like, like a tampon a, or whatever. I also think that's a great example of how like the philosophy of hospitality like leads us to look for the needs of people. And like, if you mm -hmm. actually care about the needs of people when they're in your space, like you will have no problem changing something. Yeah. Like to make someone feel more at home, more at ease, more safe. Yeah. Granted, I think that like the, the critique to that is like making sure that you don't also welcome abusers and harm. And like, certainly not everything is allowed and tolerated. Like, I'm not, I don't think that that's mm -hmm, the same. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a straw man. But, I mean, certainly that's a, an, a discussion to have, for sure. But again, that's where the boundaries come in. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Stephen, what do you think makes those spaces, church or not, unwelcome? Hmm. I think, Josh, you adequately spoke to, like, pretty clear signals of like in-group, out-group dynamics to like not even be open to differing opinions or question asking. And I, I really like Emily's framing of like accommodating. Like I was recently just reading a tweet that Chad had shared in our Discord about a church that had a trans flag up and someone who came to church who didn't speak English and pointed to the flag when they were talking to the pastor and, and like in what best they could summon as English was like trans. And then the pastor nodded and then they pointed at themselves and said trans. And then the pastor pointed at themselves and said trans. And like mm. they had like a holy moment of like, oh, we're seeing each other. And something as simple as putting a flag up helped create that between human beings and making someone feel welcome, you know? which I, I thought was just like a beautiful picture of what every church, quite honestly, should feel like, um, even down to gluten-free options for Eucharist or tampons in the women's restroom, you know? I think for me, if I'm honest, part of me, I can't stop thinking about like literal comfortability mm -hmm. of like, like for me, um, I used to go to a church that was like, all we had for seating was it, on a concrete floor was like those folding chairs that you could get at like a party rental place. Oh. And we never upgraded and we never changed. And I hated sitting for church <laughs> because they were so 
uncomfortable. Like they made my back hurt. They made my butt feel weird. Like none of it was good. Oh, that just sounds awful. And like when I think about like hus, turn the other cheek. Thank you. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, like if I'm being honest, I think the idea of like I don't know this. I'm very much thinking this one specific church, but it was like very much trying to lean into like a very minimalistic and like industrialist vibe of like, yeah, it was all concrete floors. It was all pretty much gray, black and whites for decorations and all that. And it just didn't feel like a place I wanted to spend a lot of time in, you know, whereas, you know, the youth annex I used to go to for all the like Spartanness of like, there was barely anything on the walls or anything like that. I will say there was the big youth group couch that was very comfortable and very, mm-hmm. <laughs> and very fun to sit on and hang out with people and play games. You know, Josh, you just, tw- you just tweeted about youth group couches. Yeah. That's a great point because I was like, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Cause I went to this furniture store and saw this giant, perfect couch for a youth group setting. Like it was like this giant L shaped couch and like shout out to youth groups. Yeah. It was like easily like 15 seats. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Like, most youth group rooms, I feel like, are designed to be very accessible and comfortable most of the time. Yeah. Outside of maybe like mega church. I don't know. But like the youth group couch is like such a trope. Like versus yeah. like the pews in a Sunday service church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I, hmm. That one's hard for me because like I think that space creation is really interesting. And like if if you were going to like host a thing religiously that you think people should hear and show up for, like <laughs> you should probably make your space at least inviting and comfortable. But then like mm-hmm. I see the critique on the other end. I think I mentioned it on this episode before of like like the mega church that just like has the best production and is like super excellent in the the showiness of the service and the experience, but it's like a selling point for the consumerism. And like, certainly there's like something in the middle that people are looking for mm. in terms of hospitality and like meeting people where they're at and trying to meet their needs as much as you have bandwidth for. That feels so corporate I hate that I that said that, but like, <laughs> surely there's like a good middle spot that is actually efficient right what's your favorite way to be hospitable oh man it's going to be feel super corny considering this is how we introduce literally every ravel but like when people come over one of the first things i do is offer them one of the many drink options i have available Mm. Mm -hmm. you know i love being uh, like, I love welcoming them in the house and being like, would you like a tea? Would you like LaCroix? I can make some coffee. Would you <laughs> like, I love going mm, down the mm. list and just saying like, what sounds good here? I have options, you know? So I, I think that one has become important to me in the last couple of years, which is mm. very fun. Cause honestly, just variety of beverage just for everyday living is nice. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Emily? I know for me, it's saying the person's name, whether Ooh. whether they're like coming to the parsonage or um, at the church, 
when people come into the office or after church on Sunday and I'm saying hi to people as they're going to fellowship time, saying their name and like looking them in the eye is like the greatest way of creating a space of hospitality for me personally, Mm. um, because it means that I'm seeing the person like I'm calling them by their name and I then want to engage with them. And so like if I'm shaking hands like after the service is over and people are going to fellowship time, I don't for every person that shakes my hand, I don't just say their name and then the same generic see you at coffee hour or have a blessed week. Like I when I say their name, I'm now setting myself up to have a very personal conversation with that person. So, oh, Lou, it's so nice to see you. How's your sister doing? I'm so glad to hear that. Prayers for you and your family. Oh, Jerry, so glad you're here. How was your fishing trip last week? Like Classic Jerry. Classic Jerry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like that just creates a sense of like this person cares, this person is inviting, and this person is engaging. Okay. Because that's what I would want. So I think the key to the names thing is very much the follow through. And also in the same way, it's kind of like, like I think there's something to do with tone in there because- like it always bugs me when clearly it's like it's a pretty common coffee shop policy to like ask the customer their name when they're checking out and they put the name on the ticket and right and then like they can call it out. I think it's always weird and it almost has the reverse effect of like, okay, cashier asked for my name. I say Steven. And then the person who makes the drink puts it up on the counter or like walks it out to where I'm sitting and they give it to me and they don't use my name. For some reason that's like, okay, why did I have to like, I don't know. It feels like it almost has a backwards effect of like, okay, so you asked just to check a box. You don't really care, mm, which is a very yeah. weird, you know, like it's a, uh, it's a very like how to win friends and influence people vibe. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. Actually to that point, I like really relate to Emily's uh, explanation, but that is actually something I appreciated about my previous workplace is that we were designed and trained in a way to not ask for people's names. Like not Mm -hmm. like it was like against it, but like it wasn't built in. So then like when you did get to know someone, it was like Mm. actually genuine. Like you had to ask for their name because like that wasn't part of your workflow. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally know what you're talking about. Um, I would say that my, my favorite way to be hospitable is, and probably, yeah, I'm just going to say favorite. My favorite way to be hospitable is in the practice of tipping. Oh, yes. My second follow-up question for you is how has your favorite form of hospitality changed the way that you think about hospitality or God or love or care or anything along those lines? Um, so if I'm talking about drinks, I think... Uh, to be honest, I think actually my theology changed before it became a valuable thing for me to be able to offer drinks to people I'm hosting is oh. is quite literally like creating a sense of welcoming around a food or beverage. Like, here's a thing. You came over to my house and here's a thing I would like to give you that you put inside you in a way of like, let me share of my fridge, right? Or share of my labors. Or the fruits, you know, it's like, uh, Mm. it's very, to me, it represents very much something Eucharistic of like, let me share something from my table with you. Mm. Mm. What about for you, Emily? You know, and I'm thinking about just like my whole career 
Like, hmm. as a pastor, you want to know everyone's name and you hope that you remember everyone's name. And you're like essentially wanting to check a box of like, okay, yep, I know people's names. Great. And I think for me, it's wanting to have a relationship with those that I am pastoring. And I think to myself, like, I would want God to be in relationship with me. Like, me, Emily, is different than the Emily that was in school with me or the Emily that's down the street. And name goes beyond more than just identification. And, like, I want to see the worth and the value of people. And to initiate that, like, I want to know what is your name? Because this Jerry is going to be different than the Jerry that was a camper of mine for years and years and years. And like who they are and who their essence is, is all wrapped up into this beautiful person that now has this name. And mm. oh. to get to know them uh, and to, to see God in them and to see the life that they're living and to be a part of that journey, I need to know who they are and what better way to start that than to ask them what their name is. Yeah. So two thoughts I have off of that is I have a friend, a recent, a recently made friend after we made a no normal people episode together that will be coming out in this season three, but we had a fantastic time on the episode and I caught myself calling her a, a name that she did not prefer Ooh. in the sense of like, my name is Steven and I preferred to be called Steven and not Steve. You know, um, like my friend Rach prefers not to be called Rachel, which is her full legal name. And to me, like it brought up the sense of like, there's so much in a name, like in the Bible, even of like God gives people new names based on pivotal moments in their life. Abram becomes Abraham, these kind of things. Mm. But it also brought home the sense of like, I know how much it bothers me when somebody calls me Steve. And so I'm going to put the effort in to call her Rach by her preference and call it out myself if I slip and accidentally say Rachel and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I know you prefer that. Let me fix that. And to me, like the name represents so much as well to trans folks who like Mm -hmm. have trauma responses sometimes in association with like dead naming them by accident, even by accident like that. Mm-hmm. is something that brings up so much to them. So like to know, to like learn their name at the beginning and intentionally say their name in like an intimate way and not in a way of like, <laughs> you're just getting your name at the coffee shop. Right. Um, right. And I, I think the verse, I think it's at the end of John after the resurrection, when Mary is around the tomb and she mistakes Jesus as the gardener. And it takes Jesus saying her name, Mary, for her to like, Mm. oh, I know who this is now, right? Like, Mm. it takes the familiarity with someone naming you and all of that and all that represents to like gain that connection. I think that's so beautiful. Mm. That is good. Mm. I would say for my practice of hospitality, I think it has deepened the meaning for me in having a theological practice and also has made me think so much more about generosity, consumerism, 
anonymity versus non-anonymity, relational behavior in everyday life, like genuinely asking someone a question versus like a generic, how's it going? Or how's your day? Or Mm. being a lot more like present and engaging. It's made me think a lot more about those and a lot more theologically about those. And I guess if I was going to extend that to a relationship with the divine, I would say, oh, I, I, I guess I haven't really thought about this explicitly. Um, <laughs> so this is like for the first time. I guess I would say, wow, like if I can like expand my thinking or like just deepen my thoughts on this like very simple act and like everyday instance, like how much more does God think about me or other people in humanizing or in in giving or like just it's just like I think it's introduced for me like so much more wonder and almost like not to just like completely plug no normal people again for you Stephen but it's almost introduced like this like theological sonder I feel like Emily's kind of getting at that too Mm -hmm. Mm. like yeah I am my own person you are your own person I don't need to know everything about you but like in the moment I can engage with you and like be present to you and man, you probably have your own relationship to God and I don't need to know all about that right now. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. I think it's just introduced a lot more like, mm, yeah, wondering. I, I think I think for anyone who hasn't heard of the word sonder, it's like, it's the idea that like passerbys on the street or like, I like framing it now in terms of like NPCs and video games. <laughs> but like- <laughs> Every NPC in your real life has a life like equally deep and rich and complex as your own. Like they worry about stupid stuff like you do sometimes. They have relationship issues with in-laws sometimes. And for for all the for all the grace and like space we want for ourselves to be like, well, you don't have the full picture is like everyone deserves that and everyone has that much going on but it's really easy to just assume they're like an npc because you see that barista twice a day Mm. for four minutes you know i think that's what i really love about the idea and the acts of hospitality is that it almost removes someone from those situations and like introduces a new moment in time that people share and Mm usually doesn't depend on everything else in their life it's like almost like creating like a little bubble right almost yeah But like also that's not to say that like those relationships are like divorced of any other relational aspect like you probably continue to know those people somehow Mm -hmm. or maybe you don't though like maybe like in some way so that's like one thing that it's made me think of is like like there are definitely momentary temporary moments of hospitality and there's definitely like long-term moments of hospitality and sometimes it's both like sometimes Mm. it's momentary for one person but like for the other person it's like a long tradition and history of like i always act this way like every time someone comes to my house i always make them a drink yeah but like to that person it only happened once or something like that you know what i mean totally i think it's really cool (sighs) well thanks for thinking about this with me you guys i think it's really interesting thank you for bringing it up 
Thanks for having me. So good. So good. Wow. He says as if he's been guesting on a bunch of podcasts lately. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Wow. Who are you? for drinks. (laughs) Hey, speaking of which, uh, we all have been getting busy with uh, showing up on other podcasts that are gracious enough to invite us. Yeah. I would like to plug the worship review podcast where I went and they, we did a whole episode where they interviewed me and talked about my history of being a worship leader in a couple different contexts and how I grew up a musician through the church. And then we did an episode reviewing a specific song by Hillsong church called so will I. And that was, that was a very fun time. It was like lyric by lyric peeling apart the whole thing and trying to get at what they were trying to say. Good fun. It was great fun. I don't know if it's out yet, but Josh and I sat down with a friend, Rachel Spears, over at the Recovering Evangelical podcast. So you should go check her out while she's in the middle of season four, and we'll, we'll be out soon if we're not out already. Um, also, we are approaching episode 100. We are now only 15 away. So first of all, thank you um, if you've less left us a review or two on a couple different platforms. Shout out. You're amazing. If you would be so kind to leave us a review, if you haven't already, we have a stretch goal of 200 reviews on Apple Podcasts, 100 on Spotify, and we read every single one, and it's like super encouraging, and it helps us like find other people who are looking for shows like us. So thank you if you leave one. Emily, how would you end, or maybe my better question is, how do you like to end uh, like a, a night or a thing in a very hospitable way. Like I know that you always give like a kind of a benediction-y kind of thing, blessing, whatever, here, but yeah. mm-hmm. like what's your favorite way we will walk to with each say other. goodbye? We will walk hand in hand. <laughs> we <Steven>. will walk. <laughs> we sing that song at the end of each service. Yeah, every service, I know. We do, yes. I was thinking that. Um, no, but one of the ways that I reach out... Um, when someone is leaving from either the church or like the house um, and we are very good friends, I always say like, let me know that you made it home safe. Um, And I say that to know that a, they made it home safe. Um, But to also let people know that like, I care about the time that you spend with me. And I also care about the time that you spend out in the world and living your life, even if I am not there to witness it. Um, And to know that I care for you and that to care for someone means that you will go above and beyond to ensure that they are invited and engaged and want to come back. Um, so to know that they made it home safe means that they have the opportunity then to come back another time. Um, and so in this virtual space, I hope you all are able to log off uh, safely yeah. um, and that we invite you to come back and to be a part of this with us. Let us know if you made it home safe by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Thanks for coming in. That's my favorite thing to say. I say that sometimes.
if uh, I'm at a different coffee shop, I straight up do this all the time. I will like <laughs> be at another coffee shop or restaurant. And as people are leaving, if I notice the other staff doesn't like exit greet them, I don't know what to call that. Bid farewell. I will do it. And I like try to hide it like behind my hand. What? No way you do. <laughs> I do this all the time. I accidentally got caught one time by the guests because I like I (laughs) they were closer to me than the door and I should have waited until they were closer to the door and they turned around it was obvious which direction the sound came from (laughs) wow I'm learning so much about you yeah we should go out sometime Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.